at you from the 37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Pixelated Paranormal. If you notice, I'm not Sean, and that is not his voice that you're hearing. This is a very special episode that we're going to start calling Pixelated Paranormal Pit Stops. You see, we were driving down the road this evening, dark and dreary nights, storming violently, and Steve and Sean were getting a little nervous on being on the road, and we passed by this quaint little motel, and the lights were on, a, a sort of a 12 rooms, 12 vacancy scenario, and uh, I decided to go ahead and hit the open road, a little pit stop, so to speak, while those two are back Norman baiting each other off. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. They are fine. Um, I just decided that uh, this is a story that I've been wanting to do for a while, and it never seems to line up with all the other plans that we have. Um, so what better way of doing it than just doing it by myself? So tonight, it's me, Preston, solo. Now, it wouldn't be a pixelated paranormal without news, so I'm going to hit you with some news. Here in the great state of Kansas, a man testified he chopped up his wife's body to protect his family. It's something I had to do. A man told the Kansas court on Tuesday that he chopped up his wife's body in a hotel after she killed herself to protect his family. Justin Todd Ray, 36, appeared in front of a Johnson County judge to explain why he spent eight hours hacking Jessica Ray's body into pieces last October Reports from the Kansas City Star. It is something I had to do. My family is very dear to me. It is something I had to do to protect my family. According to news reports, Jessica Ray gave birth to their baby in a bathtub in a Kansas City motel and then killed herself. Justin Ray, instead of calling police for help, dismembered his wife's body so he could take her remains to Arizona while caring for his newborn and two-year-old daughter. Authorities located the body parts in a bag at a storage shed in Lenexa, Kansas. Ray, who was not charged in his wife's death, entered a not-guilty plea Tuesday for charges of two counts of aggravated child endangerment and two counts of contributing to a child's misconduct. He was also charged with abandonment of a corpse in Missouri. Ray had initially provided officials with conflicting reports on what happened the day his wife died. He previously said she died in childbirth, but Lenexa Police Detective Shannon Murphy testified that Ray told her his wife had killed herself. After having his children pose for photographs with her body, Ray said he skinned her like a fish and said Ray flushed body parts that would not fit into containers down the toilet. And holy shit, this story just got dark. So, yeah, I don't know where to go from there. Because that's just fucked up. So if you would like more details on that story, please feel free to Google search it or maybe not. Just forget that I ever brought it up. So tonight, 
I'm going to talk to you listeners about the Magnus of Java. Um, this is a book that uh, I picked up a while back and been wanting to do for a while. And, uh, you know, it, it deals with the stories of these immortal iron fists, these kung fu masters who have harnessed this power of chi energy. And uh, there's always been something about like crappy B kung fu movies that have really taken my imagination away when I watched them, you know, such an uh, exotic area of the world. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's really easy to get swept away with, uh, just, you know, the scenery of the movies and just the language that they use. And, uh, so it's something that's always been really fascinating to me. I love Kung Fu movies. Um, Kung Fu movies are like my dad's Westerns when he was a kid. Um, so we're going to talk about it and I hope you guys enjoy it. This tale is written by author Costa Daniels. He starts off by telling the reader he is of a scientific background who has two degrees in engineering. He doesn't look like the sort who readily believes in every story that he reads or everything that he sees on film. He's a take it with a grain of salt type of guy. But I think that's misleading because several times throughout this book, he comes across as egotistical. You know, he's got to tell you about these degrees that he has that have nothing to do with the story. He has to tell you every time um, his master gave him praise for knowing something, some, uh, you know, obscured fact of Chinese culture or Kung Fu history. Um, he's very high on himself. And I think he got swept up in the whole fantasy behind, you know, the immortal Iron Fist sort of character. He tells the readers that when I saw the documentary, however, I did not doubt its credibility for a second. I knew that what I was witnessing was real, that it was neither special effect nor fraud. I was sure of it. Perhaps it was the coming of the new millennia that allows this, that a man schooled in Western thought and science can look at a deviation from the accepted laws of nature and say, this is the real McCoy. So let's travel back for just a second and talk about this docu-series, what it is and what Costa saw. The Ring of Fire, an Indonesian odyssey, is a five-part docu-series following the decade-long bandarhar of the filmmaker-sibling partnership of Lauren and Lawrence Blair. So for those who don't know what a bandarhar is, it is like a, a broad study program for people who are in the crafts trade. So it's something we don't do too often nowadays, but way back in the, you know, the 1700s, 1800s, you would have like blacksmiths, for example. Um, you would have a German blacksmith who grew up in a village and spent his whole life there. And before he could take on the title of master, he would have to spend years traveling abroad. He would have to go to other villages, go to other countries and learn from different blacksmiths and take back all this knowledge to his own master and then present it to him. And after that, um, if he had adequate knowledge, then he himself would earn the title of a master craftsman. So that is what a Vanderhaar is. But I digress sometimes and get on tangents. So let's get back on track. So what the docuseries captures is an average looking Asian man doing the impossible using his bioenergy or chi to light a wad of paper on fire. Now, 
This is an energy that every living being can harness and use with the proper training. And one thing that we see in the docu-series is they hook up a voltage meter to this man and have him use his power. And we see that the, the, you know, the voltage meters goes off the scale. So he's, you know, generating an electric charge and several times the cameraman or somebody else on the film crew would touch him. And they said it felt like they were being tased. Now they took him out and this was something that was in the book that was put way towards the end. But I think it's, you know, something that, you know, should be told at the beginning, but they took uh they took this guy this Asian dude they found on the street that they named Dynamo Jack. Um, they they took him out for dinner and they were asking him to demonstrate more of this power. So you had this big thick wood table and they're all sitting around it. They're eating, having a good time. And Dynamo Jack takes a chopstick and you know is like you know watch this, and he pushes it through the table with ease like a knife cutting butter. And as he's doing this, he kind of, his eyes wander off to the corner and all of a sudden he becomes very sunken in himself and says, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And, um, cuts off all contact with the, the crew members past that point. And we'll come back to this part of it, uh, later on, um, as to why, why he acted that way. Uh, but I thought that that was kind of the cool little first taste of power other than lighting the paper on fire that we get to see in this tale. Now, Costa goes on to say, there are at least two ways that this feat could have been accomplished as an illusion. Either the filmmakers were in on it, or Fireball Mario slipped a phosphorus or some other inflammable into the crumpled paper and timed it out perfectly. Or, he was the real deal. A genuine, kind-hearted man out to show the world what time had lost. He goes on to say, I had to find him. I knew it was not going to be easy. I didn't know the man's name. The documentary had indicated that he lived somewhere in Java or maybe Bali, but I had no way of knowing even if the implications were true. They could have filmed him in San Francisco for all I knew. It was basically the blind leading the blind. But 10 days later, I was on a plane to the Indonesian capital of Jakarta, and after an 18-hour trip, I checked into the cleanest of the dirtiest motels on Jalene Jaska and rested up for the morning. I knew it was going to be tough. So, you know, this kind of spur-of-the-moment, ill-prepared trip. You know, he's in a country where he doesn't speak the language. He's got a photograph that he copied from the documentary. He really doesn't know this man's name, but, you know, he's walking around. He's asking whatever information he could find. He's met with skepticism, ridicule, scoffs, hard eye rolls from the locals. He visits medicine shops, uh, temples, you name it. He was there and... After the first day, he really felt defeated, like, fuck, why, why did I do this? Like, man, I should have been more prepared. So the second day, he goes up to the clerk and says, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time with the local language. Like, maybe you could help me out. And he tries to tell him, like, why he's there. So the, the clerk uh, writes him out this note in the local language and says, here, just show this to people. This should help. 
So he does. People tend to respond to the note. They seem friendlier. There's more smiles. And eventually it leads him back to the temple from the previous day um, with a group of Buddhist monks. And it is here that we that Costa learns that with much embarrassment that the note had read, Honored sir or madam, I'm a very stupid foreigner who has been tricked into coming all this way from Greece. These are pictures of a man I saw on a video and I'm looking for him. I do not know his name or where he lives. Do you know him? Thank you. But, you know, monks being monks... They offer Costa a helping hand and say they can arrange a meeting with a man uh, that has more information on this mysterious paper-burning kung fu master. And the spark of hope returns to this young Padawan, and he's like, finally, you know, I'm going I'm to get somewhere. And it seemed like he waited forever, but realistically, it was probably like 20, 30 minutes. And then this wiry Chinese man pulls up on a bike, and this intense interrogation ensues. You know, questions of like, who are you? Are you CIA? Why are you looking for my master? Can I see your passport? You know, why, why would you come all the way from Greece not knowing anything? And um, it was just question after question. And so, you know, Costas, you know, it's like, no, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, I want to study with this, this great man. And, you know, he's really trying to sell it. And so finally he's like, you know, just wait for my answer. Um you know, wait patiently and let me think on this. And so uh, a week later, the, the wiry man, a king, uh, gives Costa a piece of paper with his master's address on it. So fast forward to Java. It's knocking on the door of a man named John Chang. John opens the door and this, you know, who are you and why the fuck are you here type of conversation is going down. Um, Costa mentions the video and, uh, you know, to his surprise, uh, Mr. Chang says, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. And Costa's like, well, well why not, man? That, that was a, a kick-ass display of power. I, I don't get it. You are not brought upon this world to get it. What, what he really said was, is, uh, you know, I promised my master that I would not. So if we time travel a little bit back to that story that I had just told um, about him pushing the chopstick through uh, the, the table, when, they, when he had did that and he pushed that chopstick through like butter, um, a splinter of it had hit one of the, the Blair brothers in the eye and had caused an eye infection. And like a scene from Star Wars, his master appears like Obi-Wan Kenobi, scowls at him and says, you promised that you would not show off your powers or harm others. Uh, you must heal them um, and use your powers for the benefit of mankind. I am most displeased with you. And then, bam, you know, disappears. So he, they're standing there at the door and they're looking at each other. And finally, you know, he's like, Costa, what? What is it that you need? Why are you here? I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Oh, shit. Wrong story. No, I will not train you. Are you in need of healing? Well, my, my joints are fucked from all the years of martial arts training. Improper training, you mean? Okay, I'm going to have to touch you, but don't be alarmed of what you feel. 
So Costa takes off his shirt, and as John laid his hands on his back and chest, he says he felt this electric energy run through his body, making him jerk, twerk, almost like being tased. And as he's moving around in there, John, a.k.a. Dynamo Jack, is saying, There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions. Costa states, I felt like I was going through some kind of high-intensity ultrasound. I could feel his power inside of me, the energy building up as he became more confident of my physical condition. Finally, after minutes of being probed by this foreign energy, John snaps up and says, I have it. It's in your blood. Your blood is prone to calcium deposits. No, shit. Can we, can we fix this? Don't know. You must come back every day and we will try. So two whole weeks of treatment and two weeks of being shot down every time he had asked John if he would take him on as his student. But every treatment, his joints felt better and better. And every treatment, John upped the voltage. So how is this possible? Is this shit for real? Well, no matter what Obi-Wan Kenobi would tell you, you must understand Yin and Yang, the two forces of the universe. So inside of our bodies, we have these two energies, Yin and Yang, and they both flow in equal amounts. An immortal Iron Fist Master will have spent years practicing the art of meditation, and it is through a particular meditation that they will learn how to store these energies and build upon them that are running through our bodies and yin and yang never meet. They're always running parallel to each other, but one who has mastered the art of this meditation can bring those energies together as one. And it is at this time that if you use those energies as one, that you can perform all of these feats. You can use this energy to heal and to improve the body. You can use this energy to become an immortal spirit that never dies. All of this is possible simply by harnessing the energies of yin and yang. So I'm not sure if I've impressed upon you listeners the you know awesome power that Dynamo Jack has. So I thought I'd give you a couple more examples of just what you know just just the power that this kung fu master is wielding. So Costa talks about how he spent you know weeks and weeks and weeks with John, and they would just hang out together. And during one of these outings. John had asked Costa if he wanted to follow him uh, to a, a business meeting. And so they were driving together in John's car. And, you know, the, the highways there, the roadways are very narrow. And, you know, at certain points, you know, only one car can pass at a time. And so John, with his kung fu-like reflexes, was driving over 100 miles an hour down these narrow streets and zipping in and out. And, uh, you know, he was texting on his phone, making phone calls, flipping with the radio, never really paying attention to the roadway and was driving dangerously fast. But because that he had harnessed these this energy and had these reflexes, 
it really slowed down time for him. So why time for Costa seemed to be going like, you know, to the speed of a bullet for John, um, all the movement was very slow. And so even though it didn't appear that he was paying attention and was driving recklessly, John, in fact, was, you know, to him, he was driving like 40 miles an hour. Like he was going like a slow old man. So Casa had asked, you know, hey, man, have you ever had an accident? And John had said, well, you know, one time I did. And when Casa had asked, well, what had happened? He said, nothing. I used my power to absorb the impact on my body. They had to cut me out with a chainsaw. The witnesses thought it was a miracle that God or some saint had protected me, but it was simply my power of yin and yang. So after, you know, Costa about shits his pants riding in the shotgun with, with John, um, they get to this business meeting and Costa is still really just trying to wrap his head around what's going on and about John's power. And so John turns to this bewildered Greek and says, listen, hand me, hand me one of those bananas. So they're sitting on this dock and, you know, Costa hands him a banana out of a crate and John holds it in his left hand. And with his right hand, he holds out his first two fingers. Inches away from the banana, he makes this slicing motion. And then there's like this little pop, this little sizzle. And the banana just falls into two pieces. Costa picks him up and he's looking at these two slice ends of the banana, both which are cauterized. And he just looks in amazement and says, Holy fruit salad. So John says, yes, Costa, these two fingers can become like laser beams. So months of this go by, and finally Costa's money is spent, and he's on his last day, and he goes to tell John goodbye and thank him for this experience. And John looks at him for a second and is like, okay, I'll take you as a student. Costa's like, wait, what? Hold the, what? Hold the fucking phone, man. I've been here for months just chilling with you, getting healing. I've asked you day in and day out to take me on as your student. And just now, when I'm about to go back to Greece, you're like, yeah, I'll take you on. John's like, you know, I I decided to go ahead and teach you the ways. You know, I had a dream that you would knock on my door. And after all this time, I've tested your character with patience. And uh, yeah, you know, you're going to be my student. And so there's this moment where Costa's really is like, man, what what the fuck just happened? And you had me. John's like, what? You you thought you've had it rough all these months? Let me tell you the story of me and my master. So we travel back to a time when John Dynamo Jack was ten years old, and he met an old man from inland China, like seventies old, not crusty but spry. His name was Lao Tustong, and he was known in the village as the Banana Man. Maybe the old Banana Man or the weird Banana Man. I guess it depends on the day and who you talk to, but everybody knew him as the Banana Dude, plain and simple. All I need is a woman. They thought him odd because he lived without furniture and without the simple pleasures of life, but always liked bananas. A special kind of woman with dragon green eyes. Anyways, John, being poor and penniless, spent most of his days dreaming of being a great kung fu warrior. 
His best friend, Chan Tinsun, was a supposed student of the great banana man and every day said, Come, come, you must meet him and ask him to teach you in the ways of Kung Fu. He is a great healer and mighty Kung Fu master. So intrigued by the weird banana man, John uh, showed up one day to meet him. Now, the old man was picky. He made most people wait days before seeing them, refusing some while seeing others right away for healing. And as the door to the banana man's house opened, there stood a wiry old Chinese guy. He held out his crooked finger and said, I smell the blood of human beings. No. He said, what do you want, boy? So John went on to tell him. He's like, look, you, you trained one of my friends, and I thought maybe you could teach me too. And the old man bells with laughter. You know, what purpose would you get from learning from the likes of me? Surely your time would be spent with the hundreds of other Kung Fu masters in the area. And John's like, look, buddy, my friend said that you're the best, and I thought maybe you could teach me self-defense and maybe to kick a little ass and take a few names. And so it becomes clear to the master that, you know, John is not in this for maybe the right reasons for, you know, wanting to learn this great power and this great responsibility to heal and help others, but maybe just to show off and uh, make a little money at it. So, you know, he tells John to show up the next morning around noon. And so John shows up, knocks on the door, nothing, no one's home. He waits and hours go by and finally the old man walks up and says, it's too late today. Come back tomorrow. So he does. Disappointed, he leaves and comes back the next day and the same thing happens. And he comes back the next day and the same thing happens. He comes back the next day and the same thing happens. It's like a week of this goes by of uh, this old man giving the kid the shaft. And so finally he shows up, knocks on the door, and the old man answers and tells John to grab a broom, a bucket, a mop, rake the yard, and clean the house, damn it. And this goes on for months. Then one day the old man offers him some tea after the cleaning's done, and they're both sitting there sipping the tea. And, you know, the old man looks into the teacups and, Ah, it's bitter! And tosses the tea out. Do you know what would make this tea taste better? Eh? Water from the well from my friend's house. Better water. Now, even though John's a young kid, he's thinking to himself, like, wait a minute. This this water up the, the street, it's not, it's all from the same well. So it's not like, you know, your friend Joe has better water than you. I mean, it's all the same water, man. And uh, so he's like, you know, wait, hold the fucking phone. We We have the same water. So the old man knocks the teacup from his hands and is like, you know, do you want to learn or not? You know, go get me that water. Don't bother coming back. So the kid walks three or four blocks um, up the road and uh, for months does this and brings back the old man well water from up the street. And so finally John's had enough. You know, he talks to his friend Chan and is like, wait, what, what the fuck, dude? How long did it take you to learn any Kung Fu before you stop being this old man slave. He's like, all I've been doing for months is cleaning, mopping, sweeping, getting water. And Chan's like, dude, I've never done any of that. And he's like, what, what cleaning? Nope. 
Raking the yard? Nope. Fetching water from up the street? Nope, not once. And that's when John's like that old motherfucker. So the next day, he walks up to his master, Sifu Song, and is like, listen, I clean, I rake, I fetch water, and every day, not once, not one single time during all of this, have you taught me anything? Okay, buddy. Like, what has Chan got going on that I don't? I mean, you teach him Kung Fu, and the old man replies, I teach him nothing. He's not my student. Sure, I show him a pose or two, but he's not worth my time. As a courtesy to his father, I have shown him the very basics. You want to learn something, then fine. Lesson one, assume the pose. So, you know, John's standing there in the horse riding stance and is like, uh, like, how long do, how long do I have to do this, man? And then the old guy is like, until I tell you to stop. So now this goes on for months. Each day you must hold, hold the pose longer and longer until finally the day arrives when John shows up to the house and, you know, there's this big table in the middle of the room and the old man hands John a knife and tells him, I want you to stab me if you can. So John hops up on the table and takes a few baby swings and bam. Now this really pisses me off to no end. The old man slaps him across the face. Just a little flick, but behind it was, a, was so much force that John goes flying across the room. He yells, I told you to stab me, not pretend. If you fail this time, you will never again step foot in this house. So, you know, John is running and swinging like something out of a horror movie using all of his speed, but the old man is just ghosting him left and right. He's here. He's there. He's like a blur of movement and speed. Finally, John gets lucky, and as he plunges the knife into his master, blink, the knife simply breaks. And the bewildered John is looking at the knife, looking at his master, the knife master, and he's like, what the, what? And the old man looks at him and says, you're ready for level one. So it's this part of the story that we learn that level one takes years of practice, and it's basically a meditation that builds and stores your chi in what we, you would call your root chakra or belly button area. And then after you've built this up enough through meditation, you advance to level two, and that meditation or practice allows you to shape the energy, and with each level, a new power and understanding is gained. Now, the old man at this point is level 43, and there is a total of 72 levels to become a Chi Immortal Iron Fist Master thing. So, John and Costa have a long fucking way to go. Now, at this point in the story, um, after becoming level 2, John is now 18. He's getting married. He spent the last eight years every day going to his master, learning these meditations. And now his master is dying. And he gives him this book of all the levels which have been passed down from one master to the next for roughly 2,000 years. And makes him make this blood pact by writing this agreement in blood and then burning the paper. The agreement read, Should I reach level four, I will not use my powers to harm others. 
I will use my powers to heal those in need, and I will not demonstrate my powers to any other than my students. So after burning the paper and mixing it with tea and knocking it back, John has made this blood soul paper pack thing with his master. And then the old man goes back to China, sitting in a rocking chair, has a massive stroke and bleeds out from all the orifices in his head and died on the day that he had predicted. Now, once you obtain level four, your spirit will become immortal and it retains its personality after you die, which is why Lo Pan could come back all force ghost style and communicate with John. The next chapter of the story goes on to deal with heaven and hell and all that happens after we die. And it's broken down basically into when we die, there is a area of white energy, which is good and an area of black energy, which is negative. The white energy resides in a place that allows you to live out your earthly desires and prepares you to return to the creator. While the black energy resides in a place that makes you relive your bad deeds so that you might learn and thus move on to the creator. And it's at this point in the story that Costa and John appease a Muslim ghost with tobacco and tea. And by promising that the family that lives in the house will leave the ghost banana pudding every Tuesday if he stops haunting them and protects the home instead. So I don't know. Maybe in retrospect, I'm not doing this story any justice. Maybe I'm just, you know, muddling through the first part of it and confusing you listeners. But I think there's still more to this story, something that just really knocks home the immortal Iron Fist master part of it. So I'm going to tell you about Lao Sifu or Banana Man and his journey into becoming an immortal Iron Fist. So Lao Sifu was born in a village named Li Ha Kang in China's Sengtong province. He was part of a large clan, the Laos, as the name implies. Now this clan had its own style of Kung Fu, which they called the Lao Chia Chaon. Lao Sifu began studying the family art at the age of five and continued studying until he was about 20, which by that point he had mastered the system. He became quite good at both the external and internal elements of martial arts and was a good fighter. The village um, that he was from, there was another village uh, a few miles away called Pu Chia Thang, which basically means the Pu family village. <laughs> uh, so between the, these two villages was a spring, and it was the only one in the area. Um, you know, it was kind of a barren place, and there wasn't a lot of natural resources. And so this fresh supply of water kind of became a fighting ground for b- both villages. This part of the story takes place roughly between 1915 and 1925. During, you know, World War I breaking out, uh, Lao Sifu did not marry. And, you know, between the fights and between the villages, he kind of led a turbulent existence. Eventually, one of his relatives said, you know, there is this master called Pai Lok Nin. He is a famous teacher, and we think that, you know, since you've mastered our fighting style, that maybe you should go teach with this guy. 
that's that's what he did. He took up study with this martial art master, this old rugged monk named Pylok Nin. Now he stayed with uh Pylok Nin or Pai Sifu as one would call. So I'm going to digress here for a second. Um in Chinese culture, um if you have a master, um you call them Sifu which means master or father. Uh, so uh, Banana Man had stayed with Pai Sifu uh, for five years and had studied. And at this point, he returns home to the village. And when he returns to the village, he finds that except for maybe one or two people, that the whole entire village had been slaughtered um, by the Poof village. So in like this fit of rage, like Star Wars Episode Two, Anakin Skywalker and the Tusken Raiders, Banana Man makes his way over to Pooh Village and unleashes the Force. Waves of energy are ripping into people, exploding them. Um, you know he's doing karate death chops where the people just fall down dead, and you know bloods all over the ground. Women, children, everyone is unsafe uh to you know the banana man and uh he basically you know kills him gets rid of him um you know what fuck you poo village and so all of this took place in a matter of an hour um so within a whole hour he had used his iron fist ability to just decimate this village and uh kill everyone and because, you know, Banana Man was a Taoist master, he knew about the spirit world and about life and death and knew that uh, he would, you know, have to eventually pay uh, this karmatic debt. And uh, so not knowing what to do, you know, he returns to Pylok Nan, continues, you know, studying now, the interesting thing about Pylok Nan is he lived on a mountain called Lung Hushan, which means Dragger Tiger Mountain. And this this little mountain area was surrounded by, uh, you know, this, this giant lake. And so to get to it, um, the immortal masters here would basically kind of throw a leaf onto the onto the lake or or pond or whatever, and then float across it using their energy in the wind. So they didn't even use a boat. They just floated across like Jesus walking on water. So he returned to his teacher, and because the, you know, the decimation of the Chi village plagued him constantly, um... Due to his master's suggestion, uh, Banana Man committed himself to, you know, a, a, a monk's life. So he would try to reach the highest level of power that he could in this life and help as many people as he, he could. And that way, when the time came for him, him to enter the other world, the good Lord would be merciful in his judgment. So... Pai Sifu is out one day because he would take these trips every couple months up into the mountains to do these meditations so that he could gain one more level. And so back at his little hut, Lao is sitting there before fire, just kind of, you know, reflecting on all that has transpired. And um, 
there was a basically like a servant there and the the servant was crippled because years prior he had been a bandit across you know the the Chinese land and um the people had called um for master uh, pai uh, and his help and uh so he gets into this kung fu kung fu duel with this man and he's about to give him the killing blow um you know the fable you know seven punches to the chest or whatever it's called that you know that unstoppable movement that makes your heart explode and he's looking down at the man, and the man's pleading for his life. And, you know, Pai Sifu says, uh, you know, I'm going to spare you, but you're going you're gonna to be my servant, and you're going to repay your debt to society. So instead of doing the seven-finger death punch heart explosion technique thing, he takes his fist and bam, right into his leg and cripples him. Um, this energy goes through and shatters the bone, and uh, even after the wound has healed, um, this man is now crippled. And so he just basically works around the grounds of the hut and helps keep everything intact. And that's his penance. So Banana Man and the Bum are both sitting there. And, uh, the you know, the guy's making Banana Man um, some tea. His name is Assem. And... Uh, like this this wind, this giant wind all of a sudden blows open the door and in walks this old kind of decrepit looking fellow who has a uh, blindfold around his eyes. And uh, he says, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking for Pai Sifu. Do you know him? And uh, so Banana Man and him are kind of talking and uh, he's like, well, you know, I haven't seen him for, for 12 years, but I thought I'd come to his home and pay him a visit. And uh, uh, Banana Man's like, well, you know, hey, I can offer you some tea, Mr. And he's like, ah, my name is Lem. And uh, so they start to talk, and he's like, well, how do you know Pai Sifu? And he's like, well, you know, we met 12 years back, and uh, it's to him that I owe my current power. And he's like, uh, so are you a, a student of my teacher's lineage? No, I, I've studied uh, with another school, just as old and just as powerful. But he says, you know, it's taken a long time and great dedication, but I have managed to become as I am after 10 years of fierce training, and I think your master will be quite surprised with my power. So basically, Lim says, uh, you know, I'll shoot, shoot it straight with you. Me and your master, we're going to have a fight. And uh, because you've offered me this tea, um, I will spare your life this day if you do not interfere. And, you know, he's like, well, why? Why, why do you hate him? Why do you want to fight him? And uh, the old blind man looks up over at him and all of a sudden, Banana Man can feel this, this power surging from the other man. So he knows that this man must be like a level 58, level 60. You know, like, oh, man, this shit, this, this guy has more power than me. Like, the, I can feel the dark side flowing through him. 
And he looks at him and he says, he took my eyes and I cannot forgive him. Banana Man is like, uh, you know, I understand. I, I've also wasted my life in search of revenge. What did you do to deserve such a sentence? And, uh, you know, Lim is like, it doesn't matter. Ah, it's a classic kung fu movie moment here. Banana Man is trying to figure out, uh, you know, sh- shit, um, what can I do? What can I do to help my master? I, this guy seems so powerful. He says, well, you know, my master's about to come back. He should be back any moment. And, uh, uh, you know, he's he's crippled now. He, he's he got a, a crick in his leg and he doesn't walk very well. So he's like, I don't know if you would get much honor uh, fighting him. So uh, at, at this point, a sim, the old beggar butler um, with the crick in his leg was walking back up from gathering firewood and both men in the house could hear it. So Lao or Banana Man says that he starts to feel this power surge in this evil beggar. And as the door opens, you know, Lao tries to warn him, you know, like a Sam watch. And before he could get a word out, this wave of energy comes out of one hand of the beggar and blows Banana Man off his feet into the corner. And then this other wave of energy comes out of the other hand, like this quick kung fu move. And it hits a sim, the beggar butler, and liquefies him on the spot. Like he's just this jelly human puddle thing on the ground. And so the evil Kung Fu master Lim walks off, um, you know, in victory, like, yes, I have my revenge. So when when Lao comes to, he sees Pai Sifu standing over him and, um, you know, they discuss what happens. And, you know, Lao Sifu tells him that Lim was a bandit and he was so powerful that at one time, that whether he desired a woman or a jewel, it was his for the taking. And when he went to go stop this evil man from you know asserting more power across the land, he had a moment of weakness and decided to spare his life. And now that decision had cost the life of a sim. So he hands Lao or Banana Man, you know, the book that has the rest of his teachings in it, and says, you know what, don't follow me. Um, you know, this is between me and Lim and he takes off. And so like any good Kung Fu story, the student follows the master. So when Pai Sifu and Lim finally meet up in the forest, it is like little nuclear bombs are going off here and there. It's, you know, crouching tiger, hidden dragon times 10. They're flying from tree to tree. Um, they're both hurling waves of energy at each other. You know, the jungles exploding around them. And by the time it is all said and done, Pai Sifu uses these matrix-like reflexes and quickly gets these jabs in. And this blood starts flowing out of Lim's face and he falls over dead. That fable, you know, seven-finger touch of death where your heart explodes finally happens. And... To Lao's surprise, 
the evil bandit Lem had got off his own fabled seven-figure death punch thing. And as he looks down, Pai Sifu is there bleeding out himself and, you know, instructs his student to, you know, to live the monk's life and to do good and to teach others. And that's it. That's where the story ends. Um, you know, there, there's much more to the book as far as how the energy is built up, how to use it, um, you know, how the spirit interacts with the concept of time itself. But to me, that, that was, those were the highlights, you know, the book. And, uh, if you think, dear listener, that that's something that you enjoy reading, go check it out. It is the Magnus of Java by Costa Daniels. And I hope you enjoyed this little paranormal pit stop with yours truly. Until next time. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.